Lord Jesus, I need a calm button. Who needed a calm button sometime this week? I was, my hand was going through something fast if I didn't have a calm button. But it just reminded me, and I, I actually listened to that sermon, of, of what our weeks are supposed to be like. And my sermon kind of deals with this exactly, and I knew it was coming up, which makes, makes your heart harder to understand, like, Lord Jesus, I'm about to preach on this exact topic on Sunday, and now my heart is angry. Like, like my heart is angry at the surroundings I'm going through. Anybody been there, or is it just me? Am I, am I talking to myself in this? Like, I was angry this week, and I had to ask for forgiveness. So right now, will you forgive me for being angry on Monday and Tuesday? Yes, yes, no, maybe. We'll still work it out. Jesus is Lord. I've asked for forgiveness from him. But, so then we go into our, servant, um, our sermon series for this. It's finding purpose. What, what was my purpose on Monday and Tuesday that wasn't the rest of the week? Why was my purpose different? Why was I so self-focused instead of gospel-focused? Finding purpose. The series we're going through is, and we're wrapping up today is that we would find purpose in the teachings of Jesus. See, but this is where I failed this week. We gave you clear ways. As a church, we have given you clear ways to, to find purpose in the teachings of Jesus. One was what? Be ready in prayer. Number two was be ready in note-taking. And number three was be, be ready to share. And my life wasn't living those out this week. That's why my heart was so hard. That's why my heart was so angry is because I took what I was hearing and was just bottling it up inside. I wasn't expressing that. So if you have your Bible with me, with you this morning, or your smartphone, your dumb phone, whatever you got, turn with me to Mark chapter 4, and we're going to wrap up this series today. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And when we read this text, we're going to look at four key observations. We're just going to go verse by verse through this. We're I, I had main points and I switched them around. We're just going to go verse by verse through this passage and break it down. So if you could stand with me when you were there on, in Mark chapter 4, we're going to read about Jesus calming the storm. It says, verse 35, on that day when evening had come, reminds me of a song we just sung. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The other boats were with, with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he woke, awoke and rebuked the wind and, the, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? Who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
You may be seated. Lord Jesus, you are good. Thank you for my struggle this week. Thank you for being able to be transparent. But may we glorify you through the outcome, Lord. May we gain insight and knowledge from this text that we might be, grow closer to you each and every day. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. So after reading that text, you see how my heart was in a bind. I knew this was the text I was going to deliver this, this Sunday. And my heart was not at calm, even though Jesus said, "Call, be, peace be still to the storm. But as we look at this, there's four observations I want us to see. They're pretty simple, but bear with me because we're going to break them down. And, that's, and then we'll start in verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. Jesus was wrapping up a four-part message. He preached from morning till evening. Most of us, and when I'm not up here, have a hard time staying awake for my an hour and two minute sermons that I've been on record for preaching before. I get a lot of pushback. Ain't that right, Jacob? My 56 minute sermons. But, and I'm not going to do that today. Don't worry. Be like, <sighs> I'm going to try not to do that today. But he preached from morning till evening. So we see observation number one, the importance of the preaching ministry. We see this described in two ways in this passage. First off, number one is the platform. When, when, we, get, when we started reading this, he said he got into the boat to preach. What does that mean? He was on, in Hilo Bay front, he was on the boat on the shore, and he had an amphitheater preaching. But what was so good about this Sea of Galilee was it was 700 feet below sea level with a mountain range around the Sea of Galilee. So you were in a bowl. Think of a stadium. Nowadays we make stadiums that go up, but this was actually in a bowl. So it was a PA system because we all know Jesus couldn't afford the PA system back then. He didn't have PA systems back then, guys. He didn't, they didn't have electronic communication amplifiers. So he used the resources around him in order to make it so the masses could hear him. So we see the platform. Just like me being up on stage, I, there's a platform. Number two, we see the priority. Jesus preached till it was evening. This was the priority of his ministry. Healing only happened for a little bit. He would, he would do small times. But healing was also a revelation of his preaching ministry. It gave his preaching ministry a, uh, accreditation. He loved people through healing. He, that was his, he had joy in that. He loved raising the, the girl from the dead. But preaching was why he came. Verse 35 really explains the priority. With the first five words of the verse that describes how long Jesus preached that day. He preached in many different ways. He preached in parables. And later on we're going to hear other sermons that he gave. 
This is how later Paul used in uh, 2 Timothy 4 2. He says this after the life of Jesus Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. We must be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. I'm going to be honest. Right now, I feel a little out of season. I'm, I'm not, like, I've had this, the guys pray over me this morning. I'm not feeling well. And I'm not, I'm bivocational. So I, my energy goes to my secular job, and then this is on top of it. So I had to ask for help because I'm out of season, and that's, that's wrong of me. That's one of the reasons I ask for forgiveness. But we must preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That leads us to number two. Observation number two, the importance of pastoral ministry. Jesus was a pastor to his followers. He led them with both authority and patience. Mark describes this in verse 35. Let's go across to the other side. He said, hey, we're rolling out. We're gone. So once they packed up shop and they went, but there's some important key notes in that, that after the crowd had left, Jesus stayed until the crowd was gone, and then he left. It was part of his pastoral ministry. This is, a, this, this is pastoral ministry. Let's go to the other side. And pastoral ministry is not a role to be taken lightly by both the pastor and those he leads. Trust me, sometimes I do not want the role of kahu because the authority and the responsibility it brings. I've made jokes with my wife that I don't like the role of husband because of the authority and the responsibility it brings. Because I am accountable to what happens to my family. I am accountable to what happens to you as a congregation. And that's, that's heavy. That's heavy on the heart because we, we have to love you as 2 Timothy does, by preaching the word and reprove, rebuke, and exhorting you. Jesus demonstrates that the pastor does two things from this text. We've seen it. He preaches the word, number one. And number two, he must prepare his followers to preach the word. So ohana groups is for, to help you to preach the word. And I'm not saying that we'll ha have you up on stage preaching the word, but when me and Kahu Zeke and Connie and Jacob and whoever comes across the stage and preaches, if it stays in this room, we're never going to reach the 1% of the city. What, it has to be duplicated. What you take in must come out. As Christians, what goes into our our lives is going to come out. So if you take in the word, if you're taking in the word this week, throughout the week, and then come on Sunday, it's going to come out. But if you take in the world six days of the week, and you come to church and try to get your church stuff done on Sunday, it's not going to come out. 
the world's going to come back out the other six days of the week. So by your fruit, we know if you're a true follower or not. Warren Wearsby says this, and he passed away this week. If you don't know who this is, I would look him up. He's got some great commentaries, but he quoted somebody else. So this, this quote is a little difficult to understand, but it's a beautiful quote. So this is Warren Wearsby quoting Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The primary task of the church and of the Christian minister is to preach, is the preaching of the word of God. So my primary task as a minister is to preach the word of God. Said Martin Lloyd-Jones, the decadent periods and eras in the history of the church have always been those periods when preaching had declined. All right. I'm going to give you a hint. I had to look up what the word decadent meant. Anybody need help with that? It's the period of decay, culturally or morally. So right now, in our, in our church history, if you Google the church, if you Google Southern Baptist churches, negative things are going to pop up. Why is that? Because they abandoned the preaching of the word. We have turned the word of God into a, a theme park of extravaganzas. What all can we do to get people in and we'll use the least amount of Bible as possible to keep them, keep them there. That's why attractionalism is more important than actual biblical truth. But that's not the point of this sermon. Listen to this. Preaching the word takes many hours of time spent with God. It's a labor of love to write a sermon. My sermons usually take at least, I try to start them two to two and a half weeks in advance. It's at least reading the commentary. At least 10 hours of hard labor of reading and struggling through the word. So it takes, it takes an intense time. It takes a scheduled amount of time in order to, uh, to prepare to preach God's word. So those that, those that we lead, the followers should respect that. My, one of my old pastors he, he used 40 hours a week to write a sermon. That's how long, that's how intense it was. And he would block it off. You could not meet with him. You could not talk to him during that time. It was set in stone that he used 40 hours to write a sermon. So at the same time that those that follow the pastor should, should respect that time. At the same time, those who follow a pastor as his disciple should not take the office lightly either. So his office and the responsibility go hand in hand. As the pastor honors God with his word, the people honor God with their pastors. Did you hear that? So as a pastor, I have to honor God with my words. What's the hardest thing about 
Preaching a sermon is not giving up here and preaching it. It's the accountability that comes with it that my life has to reflect what I'm saying. You follow? I'm held to a higher accountability as I, per, as I prepare and as I preach. All right, moving forward. Romans 13.1. Let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority except for from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. What does that mean? Your pastor has been placed in authority over you. And verse 36 explains this, that they're doing exactly what Romans 13 says. They're submitting to their governing authorities. What does that mean? That means anybody that has authority over you has been placed there by God. Good, bad, and the ugly has been placed there by God. Mark, going back to Mark, Mark 4, 36. Let us leave the... And leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. Here's a life application for us, and we'll move on to other verses. We honor the Lord when we honor our leaders. So do you honor your leaders this morning? Do you honor the people that's been placed in authority? Sometimes it's really hard to honor those cops sitting at uh, CU Hawaii trying to bust people for speeding every morning at 5 a.m. when I'm going to work. It is, but they've been placed in authority over me. So we honor the Lord when we honor our leaders. And they're not fully leaders, but they're authoritative. So let us move on to verse 37 and 38. Then a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already, already feeling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they, they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? I'm sure as, as we read Scripture, that's exactly how it happened. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? You think that's how it went? You think that's how, how that, that line went in Scripture? I just went to a CPR class and they told us to go, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? We are dying inside. We're dying physically and you don't care? You're asleep on this cushion? There's some great wisdom here. Observation number three is the importance of a personal struggle. This is where I was this week. The importance of a personal struggle. The Christian life is not about being exempt from daily trials and tribulations. If you jumped on board with Christianity because somebody told you that your life will be a bed of roses, they lied to you. I'm sorry. The Christian life is about living out the gospel. If we look at the lives of the apostles, they all lived out the gospel to the end. We live in a fallen world that needs redemption. And as we follow Christ, we must remember that personal struggle exists because the world has fallen. The reason we get sick is because of the world has fallen. 
Romans 7 says it's the thorn in the flesh, Paul says. The reason we have thorns in the flesh is to remind us that we're not our own personal savior. Because if everything's going good, if everything's going smooth, people stop showing up to church. They come back when things start going bad. Why? Because they start believing in themselves as their own personal savior. That's why, that's why we have personal struggle. It's because we like to think of ourselves as God. What did, what did the devil tempt Eve with in the garden? You can be like God. So when things go good, when there's no struggle involved, we start to think to ourselves, yeah, Jesus saved me. And it can go like this. Yeah, Jesus saved me. He justified me. I'm right. But I'm good now. I'm walking on this path. I've got it on my own. And leave Jesus behind. When you look at verse 37 and 38, you need to read it like you were in it. Don't be harsh on the disciples. Because the disciples are you. So what, all right, we got to remember, they're, they're in the boat, yeah? What was most, what was some of the disciples? They were fishermen, yeah? They, they were boat, they were on the boat as a living. That was their expertise. And so Jesus puts them in their element when they're like, no, I've got this. This is where I'm good at. Anybody got areas of, like that in their lives where you think you don't need God because you've got it under control? I do. And then when in the area that God, they think they had it under control, God pulls a storm on them. They, it takes them completely out of their comfort zone. <laughs> Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In other words, God, we're about to die. What are you going to do about it? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever said that in a prayer? God, why did she get cancer? God, why didn't... Why was that car crash not two, two miles behind me? Why did my daughter get gone, get taken too early? Why can I not have kids? Lord, you've told us to be fruitful. Why can I not have kids? Why can I not do this or do that? It's easy to pray those prayers. Who's, who's been honest and say, I've prayed one of those prayers before because I have. Why, why me, God? Why me? Why this disease? Why, God, when I was in seventh grade, why did my dad get cancer? I've tried to follow you. We see two things from these words. Listen to this. We see two things. We see a radical change in circumstances all right, everybody agree that the disciples had a radical change in circumstances? Dad, you have cancer now. That's a radical change in circumstances. 
I no longer have a daughter. It's a radical change in circumstances. But it turns into a desperation for the Lord. This is the hardest truth. Biblical truth for the day. Or a biblical truth for the day. The reason for personal struggle is that it keeps our attention on Jesus. We have to have personal struggle or we're not going to focus on our Savior. Without personal struggle, we are able to experience the Lord. Listen, and this is the main thing. Without personal struggle, we are able to understand the totality of the gospel that Jesus came to set us free from sin and the penalty of sin, death. Listen to this. Look in your Bible at... Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Think about those words. Hard. Think about those words. Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I won't, I won't yell at like in context. But think about them. Because why did Jesus come to die? Why did Jesus come to this earth? I gave the answer away, to die. Because why? He wanted to keep us from perishing. But the disciples were so, they were so focused on their physical state. They thought they were physically going to die instead of spiritually die. They thought they were physically going to drown instead of being already spiritually dead. First Peter 5.10 says this. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's the hope of the gospel. That God, the eternal glory of Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Jesus is coming back. We don't have to worry about the, the thorns and the fleshes now. After you suffer a little while, I would much rather suffer a little while than eternity. Amen? So watch what Jesus does in the remaining verses. Verse 39 through 41. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? He said to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Observation number four, the importance of peace and perseverance. Jesus does what only he can do in this passage. He does what only he can do. He corrects his fallen creation. With the same way he created the world, with his breath, with his ha. He says, peace, be still. 
Because in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he spoke those into existence. So he corrects the fallen creation the same way he created it. Here's a reality truth for us. When it comes to your day-to-day struggle, remember that what's over your head is under the feet of Jesus. What's over your head is under the feet of Jesus. He, con- he controls that struggle. God is sovereign. He's the sovereign creator of the universe. He controls the struggle and gives you peace and will preserve you. But I want you to see this. He did not, only, he did not just correct the wind and the sea. He also corrected the disciples in the same passage. He not only corrected the wind and the sea, but he corrected the disciples. And he does this rhetorically. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? You've seen me work miracles. I've cast out demons. I've healed people. I've caused the natural world now to submit to my authority. Have you still no faith in me? Have you no faith that I am the son of God? That I just proved to you that I'm the creator because I spoke to the creation and it listened. Have you still no faith? What does this mean? Well, it is what it is. The answer is found in the progression of chapters one up until the now that he's caused the blind to see, the sick to be healed. He caused a tax collector to drop everything and follow him. But they still doubted him. And we know they doubted him because of what it says in verse 41. And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Their doubts were connected, not their experience. So in the first four chapters, their experiences weren't all the same. Some of them were tax collectors. Some of them were fishermen. The list goes on. But their doubts were connected with their disbelief. So that's what I'm going to ask you this morning. Do you fully believe Christ? It's easy to say yes, but, but on those Monday mornings when things seem too high, things are so hard that you just want to quit, do you still believe in Christ as the sovereign creator of the universe? Do you believe Christ that when trials come and tribulations come to your family, that he is trying to get you to draw closer to himself? Do, you, do we believe that? that he wants our fellowship in those times, that when the sea is crashing over our boat or whatever instrument of of money-making you do, whatever job you do, when things seem out of control, do you say, God, I need you? Is that the first or the last thing you do? Because here at the disciples, it was the last thing they did. Oh, we got it under control And then finally they were like, oh, he's asleep. Let's take care of him. 
Let's wake him up and see what he says. Is Jesus your first fruits or your last fruits? But just like their disbelief, we have our own disbelief. And just like the wind and the sea was rebuked and corrected, we need that correction. We need that same correction. And sadly, we like to wait for it. But we need to search out that correction. That's the purpose of Ohana groups. That's the purpose of, of community is that, that correction happens. And it's always not just formative. It's also communal correction. We need to pursue correction. God said, be holy for I am holy. It's not a passive statement. We just don't sit around and be like, God, you're making me holy yet. Because it's not going to happen. When he went to the prostitute, when Jesus went to the prostitute, which I think is coming up, getting ahead of myself, but when Jesus went to the prostitute and he, she, he said, go, your sins have been forgiven, but sin no more. Our heart should be that we should sin no more. Though we know it's, it's a long shot. But Jesus said, I am that long shot. Follow me and I'll, I'll make you hit that mark. So we just can't sit, sit by idly. Am I holy yet? I don't want to sin, but I know I'm going to, so I might as well just do it. Monday morning's coming and like 12 hours and I got to be at work and I got to do all this stuff, but I'm not going to read my Bible right now because I just don't feel like it. And I just don't really want God to do anything. I'm comfortable. I'm, my life is okay. Why, why, why do I go after discipline at all? Listen to this. Because this will change your way you think of discipline. Many of us catch feelings. Listen to that. Many of us catch feelings in this room and we are corrected. Right? I catch feelings. I catch feelings. You can be honest. I used to catch them a lot more until coming here, and then I got corrected all the time. And <laughs> Many of us catch feelings in this room when we are corrected in love because it's not a normal rhythm of our lives. If it's not normal, then we're going to catch feelings. However, listen, listen, this is the important part. Jesus corrects those that he loves. Jesus corrects those that he loves. So if you're not getting corrected, there's something to be said about that. There's something to be said with that. So here's our final thought. Finding purpose in your life can only be found in the reality that Jesus allows certain circumstances to take place in your life. Can I get an ouch? 
Finding purpose in your life can only be found in the reality that Jesus allows certain circumstances to take place in your life in order to draw you closer to him. The result of this, of this is peace with God forever and, and for the glory of his name. It's a hard statement to read. It's a hard statement to live by. The fact that my dad has been on a feeding tube since I've been here. That, that it draws my heart closer to his. That I want to be with him. That I want to take care of him. That I don't know how much longer he has to live. That it happened, listen to this, I promise you, it happened two months after I moved here. For five years, he's been on a feeding tube. So finding purpose in that, that Jesus controls that circumstances, but he makes me want to rely on him more, is hard. It's a hard one for me to understand. But here's the truth, here's the truth. Because we all have circumstances in our lives like that. Not one of us in this room does not have a circumstance like that in our lives. Here's the truth. Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know, and we know that for, the for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those that love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become formed to the image of his son. In order that we, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's got a plan for us. And though we might be in any stage of that, of this passage, we might still be in the part that says, Jesus, Jesus, we're perishing. Why, why is my, my life looking like a hurricane? Or we may be in the part that says, peace, be still. Our lives can reflect different things, but the end goal is the same, that we know Christ and we know him more the more fully and more graciously. That's the way this city is going to be caught for the glory of God, is that 1%. So this is, what I want, this is how I want us to close today. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Neighbors, that's good. God loves you. Turn to your other neighbor and say, neighbor, God loves you. And I'm not trying to desensitize how serious this conversation is because there is some stuff going on. But rest in that, that God has a plan for you. That's the beauty of this is that before the foundations of the world, he's called you to be in 1967, Kinoli Street, Hilo, Hawaii, on May 5th, 2019. He's called each and one of, every one of us to be here to hear this message for a specific purpose.
that purpose is different in all of our lives. Just like as, as the disciples, their experiences were all different, but they had a common disbelief. This morning, the, the common theme is that you may believe, that you may trust in him more, that you may love him more this morning. So as we end, and we get ready to dismiss, I want you to leave with three things. Three opportunities that, that we can grow closer to Christ. That we can grow closer to him. Amen? Number one, it's not in the notes. But I'm going to bring it up anyways. We're selling Bibles in the back. $10. But if you don't have a source of, and not just Bibles, but it's a sort, there's notes in there, there's, there's guidance in there. If you just have scripture, it's good and it's wonderful. It's enough, it's sufficient. But it's also good to have things to go alongside of that to keep us focused on Christ. Because I can turn scripture easily and make it about myself. That's how my first sermon on this passage went and I had to throw it away. But there's Bibles in the back. And then beginning in June, here's three ways. We're going to do a preaching and teaching class. We're going to start up Pono groups. Pono groups are going to be like, what I call them back in the mainland, were fight clubs. What's the first rule of fight club? You don't talk about fight club. But what it is, is it's an intense community group. And if we're going to grow, if we're going to grow together, we need some intense fellowship, some intense heartache, some intense, like, revealing, God, I don't understand why, and having people walk us through that. Walk through that together and not just hold on to it yourself. Because if we hold on to it ourselves, it's not good. And then lastly, we're going to have monthly leadership developments. But this is what I want you to understand. Our lives are going to be marked by personal struggle. Whatever, whatever we come from. If we're in if we're Christian, if we're not Christian, this world is scarred by sin. It's scarred by Adam eating that fruit. And it will forever be that way until Jesus comes back. So don't bash one another. Don't, don't make light of struggles that our people are going through. Because we all have it. And it's all a way to point people to the beauty of Christ. So as I leave, I'll just pray us out and then uh, we'll have ending announcements. Lord, you are good. Your vastness is beyond measure, Lord. As that seeks in, Lord, that you have a plan, that, you're, that you control that, that struggle, that thorn in the flesh, Lord, may we submit that to you right now. Whatever, whatever it is, all over, from every corner of this room, 
from every corner of the city, Lord. The city struggles with some thorns in the flesh. May you be there to guide us and to protect us, to give us peace. Say, peace be still in our hearts. That when our mind is wandering and it's out of control, when, when our sin has taken over our lives in such a way that, that we don't know, In Genesis, you said, you caused the chaos into, into peace, just like you caused the storm into peace. So this morning, some of our lives are chaos. Speak life into that. Lord, say, peace be still through your Holy Spirit and grafting into that heart. Lord, your gospel is true. The gospel of you crucified, the disciples cried out, why are you asleep or perishing? Spiritually, they were already dead. But you came to this earth to remedy that, Lord. Lord, there's people whose hearts in this room are spiritually dead. May you remedy that this morning through this proclamation of the gospel. Lord, there's people whose hearts are in chaos. May you remedy that, that we might persevere till the end, just like you loved us till the end. Lord, thank you so much for these truths today, however hard, but may we, may we eat on them today. May we think upon them. May we soak them in today, that your end goal is for us to love you more. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your name. Is-